Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, starring Tom Blythe, Rachel Zegler, Peter Dinklage, Jason Schwartzman, and Viola Davis. Based on the book by Suzanne Collins, screenplay by Michael Leslie and Michael Arndt, and directed by Francis Lawrence. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to wrap up our prequel talk. I think it's been a fun three weeks dabbling in some pretty big franchises, right? The X-Verse, the Galaxy Far, Far Away. <laughs> yeah. And now the Hunger Games franchise, which for us is something I know we've talked about a lot, a lot off mic during the show about, you know, the concept of this world, this story, kind of how unique it is and kind of how it kind of borrows from a few different, you know, properties. I think a lot of the most dangerous game, right? Uh, The Running Man comes up a lot. And there was um, a Japanese film that came out years ago or you know, 99, 2000 called battle Royale, which Mm -hmm. is essentially this story, right? Mm -hmm. With kids. Jeez. Yeah. So yeah, it's taking from a lot of these ideas, but in that there's uh, something I think we really like, which is world building, right? Yeah. Building, you know, a unique set of rules and style and characters. And I think we're going to get into a lot of that with this prequel story, which I think the book came out right in the middle of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. And dude, Lionsgate was quick to turn this around into Let's get another Hunger Games movie back into the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. Okay. You know, over the course of all these years, of all of the fiction properties we've spoken about, yeah. I might argue the most dangerous game comes up probably more than just about anything else. Mm-hmm. We talk about that a lot. Yeah. We both love that story. Mm-hmm. What is it about that story that is so compelling to you? I think so I thought about this film. I thought about that story a lot, but I want to hear what you say first. I think it's just like kind of the savage nature of man, of mankind, uh, in that story. That uh, to get to the point where you're hunting each other for sport, there's something really twisted about it. And you know that comes up a lot in Predator, right? I mean, sure. Predator himself is someone who hunts species for sport. There seems to be no other purpose for the the Yauta species in the Predator franchise. So that even dabbles in that too. And I know it came out up a lot in Zodiac, right? Mm-hmm. Because man is the most dangerous game. And so that was kind of the moniker of why he was hunting people. It was, you know, good sport. There's just something really taboo about it. It almost seems like something you're not supposed to to really be doing. Like hunting is for sustenance, for, for food, for, you know, people uh, in the 18, 17, whatever hundreds uh this is how we survive but not hunt man because we're not eating man i don't know unless it's that twilight zone where <laughs> yeah to serve man right soylent green mm-hmm. what's it for you i think i figured it out i agree with everything that you just said man versus man the fact that the man that is trying to survive has nothing and so you have to use your wits and whatever resources you can find, which also has a lot to do with why I love the arena part of the Hunger Games. But it's not about any of those things, although I do love them. Okay. I think it's about Spider-Man. Okay, you ready for this? Yeah. When I was like six, seven years old, the first comic book that I remember ever reading was from one of the spinning newsy racks at a Circle K. Mm. I'd gone with my dad. We went to pick up 
I don't know, some nickety neck, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was a Craven comic. And in that Craven comic, and I couldn't tell if it was Spider-Man one fit. I have no idea mm-hmm. what it was, but this is mid to late seventies, yeah. 78, yeah. 80, somewhere on there. I remember Craven in the jungle finding an egg of some creature and a large assembly of jungle lights. I don't know what you would even call them Mm -hmm. that began worshiping him and the quest for the prey that he couldn't catch began. And I never found what story or what comic followed followed that particular one, you know, because comics never get out of the second act anyway. Mm -hmm. So you're just forever in the second act, right? And it sticks with me. I read that thing so much, the page, the pages fell apart because I thought maybe I could pick it up, maybe this, maybe... The, and there was no answers in there. Mm-hmm. I'm introduced to the most dangerous game when I'm in the sixth grade. Yeah. And all I could think about was that. And how... And we've talked about it a ton. We've talked about it from, you know, the Omega storyline that mm-hmm. we crafted years ago yeah. to the Spider-Man game that maybe in Spider-Man 2, I haven't even delved into it yet. Maybe... Yeah. I know he's in it. Yeah. Uh, to the Craven movie that's on hiatus until God, who the hell knows and when now. This coming um, year, yeah. Right, let's hope, yeah. yeah. I think it's that. Mm-hmm. The guy that is hunting, I can't remember the names off the top of my head now, is Craven, mm-hmm. and it's Spider-Man, and in my mind there's this perfect assembly of what that fictional piece looks like, and I think that's why. Okay. Can't this, you, does it, does, that's, that's crazy. I mean, we've talked about it. The yeah. as, whether it's the asphalt jungle mm-hmm. or whether it's the jungle jungle or whether who knows what it is. That's why Craven's such an interesting villain. Uh, but isn't he, I'm, well, I don't mean to interrupt you. I have one more yeah. quick question that he's not the green goblin. He's not, he's like B list. Yeah. And he, looks, is he though? And he looks ridiculous, right? <laughs> totally. But it, he's not though, even though he is. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, I think it, 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 it grounds Spider-Man even a little bit more than. He's already grounded. It's not, you know, ridiculous Mysterio, which, you know, he's one of my favorite villains, or it's like a big rhino. It's just like this guy just, you know, he's really good at hunting. He's really good at picking up scents and tracking and, like, everything to do with hunting animals. I mean, the big bads are Carnage and Venom and Doc Ock and Mm -hmm. the Green Goblin. And then that second tier, is that Shocker, Craven, Rhino, Vulture, or is that a lower tier? No, 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 no. They're B tier. What's C tier? Tombstone and... Sandman? Uh, no, I put Sandman in B tier. Do you give Kingpin Sp- to Spider-Man or do you give him to Daredevil or do you give him to everybody? To both. Yeah. Anyway, not, and, I'm not trying to comic book nerd out. People are probably like, oh, this show's going to suck. There's seven minutes and it's been Spider-Man. But hey, dude, we could spend all day talking about Spider-Man. The most dangerous game <laughs> yeah. has a lot of play in this 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 franchise you can't but deny that let me start with this too because you know i did a lot of research into not just this story in this film but the entire hunger games lexicon and a little bit about suzanne collins and kind of where she came up with this because you know hung, uh, the most dangerous game of course how did it not come up in the genesis of this idea sure. but i thought this was fascinating so early aughts oh three oh four she's kind of channel surfing and you know, what's big on TV in the early aughts, but reality television, Joe Millionaire and oh, yeah. Survivor and Joe Millionaire. Uh, <laughs> all those shows. And so she'd be channel surfing and it'd be, you know, MTV that and ABC Bachelor and this yeah. and like, what a weird thing. And then she'd flip to like CNN or Fox News or MSNBC and it's the Iraq war coverage. More reality TV. Yeah. And she kind of thought, what a weird juxtaposition between hard war 
and goofy reality, right? Yeah. And it was it's almost kind of a melding of those ideas of combat, militar, militarization, and making it entertainment, right? Which is what the Hunger Games is going to be all about. It's the glitz, the glam. It's 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 violence for entertainment's sake, which just seems insane to mm-hmm. be watching mm-hmm. this program, watching kids murder each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> just drives the ring. So I thought that was pretty fascinating of just the, how that idea kind of really started churning along. And then the... No mention of Philip K. Dick? Not, I find, really? No, no Philip K. Dick. But, that's shocking. But Greek mythology of... Oh, yeah, this is a very Dickian... <laughs> Story, right? <laughs> you show me yours, I'll show you mine. Yeah, the, the the man in the high castle, the what ifs of futurism. Uh just well, total recall. Yep, exactly. And the running man. Mm-hmm. So a little king, right? And yeah. King has another story too, the long walk, which is a little a little mm-hmm. hunger gamesy as well. Uh Theseus and the Minotaur was another Greek mythology story that came up, which was kind of like a rounding up of people and then battling it out in kind of a labyrinth like uh arena. So you're taking from Greek mythology, you're taking from current day, current events, uh, and then the most dangerous game. That's a pretty good combination to craft a, what I feel is still pretty a pretty wholly original story. And that doesn't bother me. I know a lot of people argued, especially in the circles that I ran with, mm-hmm. um, it was just ripping off really popular stories. Mm-hmm. Gosh, if that's the bar that you're going to set, then I'm not really sure what story you're going to like. Because yeah. there's only so many that you can tell just have to tell them a different way exactly um yeah hunger games well here we go let's get right to it let's get started with our flight question That's good, man. You're yeah. hitting on a weakness for me. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to have uh, uh, some whiskey in a mason jar at the District 12 Roadhouse Roundout. show? Yeah. <laughs> She's great. Do you like that kind of styly, stylish vocals by a female? Yeah, I do. Love I, it. And I kind of like, because uh, this is almost, it's country, but it's almost like more bluegrassy. Mm-hmm. So this plays a little bit more in kind of a, a country space that I'm okay with. Uh, yep. So it's a little more blues heavy, right? Yep. Uh, and boy, do they let her uh, belt out these pipes several times throughout this film. But why don't you hit us with that flight question this week? Okay, so um, what I wanted to look at is dystopic um, films. And from a large swatch that would be, whether that's horror or action or drama or however you want to fit it, and then into classified into whatever you say is dystopic and i struggled with that in this too top three Mm -hmm. and that's an impossible question because there's a million but top three currently so three three two two one one excellent number three for me this is a film that gets better every time i watch it i think it's one of the finest science fiction films uh from 2011 on or 2010 on and it's dread uh Carl Urban gets the chance to play the judge, jury, and executioner and does a way better job than Mr. Sylvester Stallone, which, you know, we're a fan of his, but mm-hmm. that's not his finest hour, right? Right. 
Uh, there's a lot of issues with that film, but Dread's phenomenal. It's essentially also a single location film set in a high-rise apartment building, kind of a hostage drug crisis. So it's got a little bit of Robocop in there too. But man, it's fun. It's violent. It's got a cool kind of bullet time neon chic to it. Um, but the dystopic future in that Mega City One is disgusting. I, I couldn't even imagine living in that crowded buildings upon buildings metropolis. There's no room to breathe. And then essentially your law enforcement is judge, jury, and execution rolled into one. So, man, you better hope you didn't commit a heinous act because they're going to put you out right there. Yeah. What do you think of Dread? What do you think of that whole Judge Dread? Based on a, a kind of another um, long-running comic book series, highly science fiction, where do you fall in the Dread camp? Well, I've only seen the Stallone one. I passed on that one. Really? I've never seen that one. Ooh, that be, might be a good one to do one day. Yeah, I, I think the first one left such a bad taste in my mouth, I just didn't want any part of that new one. But from what you're saying, single location, and that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I like Carl Urban too. Yeah, and he the, the the thing in the comic with Dread is he never takes that helmet off. It's kind of this ambiguous, mm-hmm. like mysterious thing, and they follow that. And Stallone's taking it off because it's sly, right? Yeah, sure. But Carl, no, he keeps that thing on, and it, and he's just fully embodied in that character. Cool. Yeah, yeah. You might have to introduce me to that one day. Sure. Number three for me: Strange Days. Um, Captain Bigelow. Yeah. Angela Bassett, Juliette Lewis, Tom Sizemore. Wow, remember him. <laughs> Uh, Ralph Fiennes, Michael Wincott, Vincent D'Onofrio. Great cast. Great sleepy cast, mm-hmm. right? Uh, here's where I struggled with my own question, and I wish I had thought this through a little bit more before I gave it to you because I think it sort of watered it down. What qualifies as a dystopia? Because if it's just in the future and looks different, like let's say, for example, Blade Runner. I wouldn't say that's dystopic. Uh, I would say it's futuristic and different, but I also don't think it has to be the road <laughs> either. Yeah. So I, I really I, had a hard time figuring out where do I want to call it dystopic? And what I settled on is something that either in the future or present is less civilized in some manner than what we have now. I think I qualified it as messed up future. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a future I, I don't want to live in. Oh, yeah. Uh, and maybe even Blade Runner to an extent. Well, that's November 2019, which hey, we've already passed that. And sure. <laughs> we managed to not have that future. Exactly. I mean, we, we had a pretty crazy, you know, 2020 to 2022, right? Very fair. But uh, that's kind of a dank, dark, gross looking future, too. I don't know mm-hmm. if I want to live in that Los Angeles either. So mm-hmm. I, I qualified it as unfit future messed up future future i don't want to live in yeah because you can't have futuristic movies that are like some of that sounds pretty cool i, I might want to jive around that right so that's pretty early on in Catherine bigelow's filmography i think that's maybe three two or three somewhere around there for her i think it's definitely after point break yeah. uh so it's kind of like yeah right there i think it's before she and i think her and cameron were together because i think that is a light storm produced uh uh production Catherine Bigelow sneakily mm-hmm. might appear on my top fa- top ten favorite directors of all time. Mm. I, you mentioned one of my seven best movies just a minute ago. Yeah. I love you know I love Point Break. Mm-hmm. There's Near Dark and yep. yep all. She but, does pretty good work. Absolutely, and uh, I saw that film for the first time in a science fiction class, oh. uh, and that one's been a while. It's been a while since I viewed that. I, I really enjoyed it, so mm-hmm. I'm, I had to check that out again. Plays in the mind space a little bit, and uh, feels kind of wet and dirty and super invasive, but I really did like it. Mm-hmm. Two two. 
Number two for me, Mad Max Fury Road. Um, I could have picked any film from this series, really, but I'm probably going to go with the best one. Yeah, a future lack of resources, lack of gas, lack, lack of just whatever, and we're just road warring on the, on the desert plains. No, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to have to listen to Morton Joe, and he's going to shower me with my monthly supply of water, right? And yeah. I got to just get whatever I can. Yeah. But, yeah, the blood banking stuff with Tom Hardy, yeah, just nothing about that world seems appealing in the slightest. No. And to Miller's credit, man, he, dude, he's going back for seconds. Dude, that 78-year-old man is like, I want more. Yeah, Furioso said uh, to be, I think the trailer dropped this week, didn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. yeah. We'll have that next year, so. Cool. Good choice. Thank you. I knew one of those had to appear on your list. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope this one doesn't make you upset, because I know you don't like this particular actor very much, but Children of Men is going to come in at number two. I may despise Clive Owen, but. It's a good film. That film's a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alfonso Caron beautifully shot mm-hmm. uh adapted from great source material and not fucked up in the ad- adaptation uh what if you can't make babies mm-hmm. what does it look like yeah and then if you get one what do you do with it mm-hmm. and what is so special about it exactly yeah the question i think that i'm not sure that that is really posed and answered in that is what if there isn't anything special about it and it's just a baby yeah but i don't want to give too much away because i think there's a lot of interesting twists in there and a lot of things that uh, you probably don't see coming, and that's that's just a really, really, really strong film. Alfonso Caron quietly has one of the most amazing filmographies of all time, and I feel like we don't talk about it nearly enough because you have a film like that. <laughs> you have a film like that. You have E2 Mama Tambien, uh-huh. uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which is my favorite from that series. Mm-hmm. Then you have, you know, Gravity, which, you know, that's a whole different type of film compared to that in something like Roma. You have heavy science fiction, you have fantasy, young adult adaptations, you have uh, coming-of-age romance film. Like, uh, that, that's all over the place there. And that that Hispanic uh, part of him is just, it lives through all of those films that he does. He has such an eye for filmmaking, but he's a good storyteller, too. E2 Mama Tambien was a movie that... I watched with a lot of hype around it and mm-hmm. I didn't get it the first time through. And then the second viewing, I'm like, Oh I, man, wow. I, mm-hmm. There's a, a twinge in that film of that sweet movie, Dusan Machiavelli mm-hmm. movie we've spoken about before. Yeah. Just not a, nothing like that mm-hmm. heavy, but hint. Yeah. Yeah. Number ones. Did, yeah, I did my number two. Yeah. So number one, number one for me, uh, this could have been interchanged with number two. Cause I really love Fury road and I'll, I'll, I'll defend that movie to, my last days, but number one for me, Mr. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. In the not-too-distant future of 1997, uh, <laughs> New York is turned into a maximum security prison. But my favorite parts of Escape from New York is all the stuff that's kind of untold about, like, where the world ended up other than the scrawl and then what they're talking about. Like, you don't know, like, how bad things got in the U.S. where... You know, New York is just kind of this prison, like all these talks about nuclear fission and Pleasant has to get there for the talks and we're on the clock. But talk about another gross, disgusting world where are we really taking down the biggest city in the world and making it a prison? Yikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yikes. And our best hope is this mercenary guy that we can't really trust. Yikes. Named Snake. Yeah. Yeah. Great choice. Mm -hmm. Love that film. My favorite line. I don't give a fuck about your war or your president. <laughs> Love it. That's the guy that's going to save the day. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, 
gave this a lot of thought. I think this might be my second favorite film from this particular actor. And that actor is Arnold Schwarzenegger. And this film is The Running Man. The Running Man! Mm-hmm. <laughs> See you only in a rerun. Yeah. I'll be back. Look, the collection of bads that he takes down is awesome. Every single one of those settings that they fight in, with the exception of maybe the Jim Brown one, <laughs> is awesome. The ridiculousness of it is awesome. And there is, for all of the genius in that, a very strong current of satire that goes through it. Mm-hmm. Because we're able to look at who is being killed and how we board game those deaths out in some sloppy, pissy, ugly, hosted by awful game show host Richard Dawson. Love him, but perfect villain. Yeah, Yeah, that movie, I could watch that over and over and over again, and each one of the battles with the stalkers, runners, is awesome. On the ice Mm -hmm. with Sub-Zero. Here is Sub-Zero, now plain Zero. Light ball, yeah, I love it. I, yeah. I, and we did, we did it a few, few years in our, it. in our Arnold cast. Love it, yeah. Yep. Arnold cast was pretty good. We did The Running Man, yep, Predator, yep, and Total Recall. A lot of fun. That's <laughs> that's just a good time, right? Number one's Predator for me. That's my favorite Arnold film. Yeah, Predator. Yeah. So that one, and then you have two two really good Terminator films in there yep. as well. Yep. A Total Recall. Yep. I love True Lies. Yeah. Commando. I, I think I've told you several times. When are we doing Commando on the podcast? Remember I said I'd kill you last? I lied. I lied. <laughs> yeah. The whole episode would just be us just doing the lines because <laughs> there's so many of them. Yeah. I eat green braves for breakfast. And right now I'm very hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but hey, to your dystopic futures, <laughs> any of well. those three, is there one that you would least, if you had to live in one, which would you pick? Oh, man. Strange Days, probably. Yeah, that seems a little more palatable. I think maybe I'll pick Escape from New York, even though it it still doesn't seem great. But, dude, I'm not getting on some just motorized caravan in Mad Max. I won't won't make it. Yeah, no. (laughs) But, hey, let's talk from one dystopic future to another. Let's get to our review breakdown of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I am honored to introduce to you the creator of the Hunger Games themselves, Dean Casca Highbottom. I have summoned you all here for the 10th annual reaping ceremony, in which we choose two children from each district to fight to the death in the Hunger Games. From From District District 12, 12, Lucy Lucy Gray Bear. There has been a change this year. As the mentor, Mr. Snow, your role is to turn these children into spectacles, not survivors. What does my mentor do besides bring me roses? I do my best to take care of you. You really want to take care of me in that arena? Start by thinking I can actually win. I'm Lucky Flickerman. First ever host of The Hunger Games. Enjoy the show. Five. Four, Enjoy the show. Three, two, Enjoy the show. All right, Matt, let's start a little bit after this movie. Let's explain a little bit about 
the Hunger Games, just kind of in a nutshell. So we're in a dystopian, post-apocalyptic future set in the nation of Panem, which, to my best understanding, the capital is somewhere in the Rocky Mountains, and then it goes east because District thirteen or 12... There is a District 13 is District 12 is kind of like in the Appalachian Mountains. So we're kind of going through the Midwest and all that. I don't know where the fishing district is. I guess New Orleans, I would imagine. Sure. Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, so the capital, uh, to bestly describe it, lavishly rich, plentiful resources, technology on high, um, and then kind of everything else after that, each district is kind of responsible for some sort of operation. Textiles, military, mili- I think District 2 is military. I might be totally wrong on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them's fishing. Uh, district 12 is like, I don't know, what tech- radio technologies or something? District 12? Yeah, I need, yeah. I need like a listing of the thing. But they all kind of do do a thing is the, mm-hmm. is the point, right? From that, and then I have a little bit more to add to that. But what do you think of that? It's we're, we're dealing with class structure here. One rules over the other. Yeah. What do you think of that as you know the setting for the world? Kind of an alternative United States, right? I love that, and it's a very brave number to go to twelve because you have to then define twelve different areas. So give credit to Suzanne Collins because in the construction of this Pan Am world, she had to devise twelve very different districts so that the way the representatives from the districts, I guess 13 is around still, right? District 13 mm-hmm. hasn't been destroyed yet. So 13 different districts. They have to fight in a way that I think suits where they come from in that district. Or if not, we have to be able to recognize them ornately through the clothing or attire or what have you. Now, here's the challenge, right? If you have 12, 13, even 10 districts and you show up in the arena and two of them are wiped out maybe then we don't have to worry about let's say seven and four because their representatives are gone you start to decrease the amount of outs Mm -hmm. and ways you can fight by wiping out the contestants in those districts or those representatives of those districts it's a fine line that she has to walk balancing keeping the variance between the districts noticeable, but not overwhelming the audience. Wait, was that four? Was that seven? Was that five? Was that three? While still all of that making me give enough to find a a good guy and a bad guy, someone to pull for, someone to pull against inside the arena. Yeah, that's kind of one of my knocks against the franchise, and maybe it's better defined in the books. Have you read them? I haven't read them. I own them, <laughs> but I've yet to open them. Yeah. But I wish districts one through, other than our leads, because we followed the story of Katniss and Peter, right? Mm-hmm. We know who they are so we can follow them, but then I kind of don't know where anyone else is from. So I, we don't need to do the warriors here. But I wish there was a discernible attribute to like each district of like whether it's clothing or just weaponry, Something that can tell me that's two, that's four, because they essentially just become fodder. And I think there's, you don't really need to do that because I think, you know, if they come from a certain place, they're of a certain class structure, they do a certain thing well, we can find a way to translate that into something that's, you know, seen, not told, right? Uh, 
think of John Wick, right? John Wick is really good at world building, but I think you get a good idea of the receptionists. They're all kind of like 50s, like pink skirt, tatted up women, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 Russian contingent, like they all have a different look. Uh, kind of the the Yakuza uh, Japanese contingent we had in Chapter Four, they kind of had their own look and style. And then uh, B- <coughs> Bill Skarsgård's uh, uh, gray suited <laughs> guys, right? Mm-hmm. They're doing it in that franchise, right? Where I I can tell you exactly. Oh no, this is that bad guy. This is that contingent. Mm-hmm. John Wick's stuck here in the middle, and Harry Potter's really good at that too. With sure. four separate houses, right? And even when they do the Triwizard Tournament and they bring in Victor Crumb and Floor, whatever, for the 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 yeah that the women the women's school, I still am able to tell you who's who's who, right? Mm-hmm. And we're dealing with a lot of characters in that, so yeah. I think that's a big miss for me in this franchise. But I love the bracketing of the the world here. So essentially, what where this all kind of starts and begins is. Years before, in a film that I think you and I would both like to see, there is a rebellion from these districts that they labeled the Dark Days. And in that, District 13 is destroyed. And in order to make an example to the rest of the districts that the capital rules with supreme authority, is uh, they select a, a kid from the, between the ages of 12 and 18 to compete in the annual Hunger Games. So they're called Tributes. It's a once-a-year type of thing. And kind of, I guess, a cool thing, if you win, you your district gets a su- your supply of resources and goods. Because uh, the thing scarce in this world is food, right? Is, you know, we have to, we're literally scrounging up Katniss root to make whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but they get more lavish. So where we're going to start with this film is in its kind of infancy, the 10th annual, where they're still kind of figuring things out. It's almost like the Super Bowl. It's like, there's no halftime show yet. <laughs> There's no commercials to sell stuff yet, but we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what this this story is about. But it's essentially the capital to remind the districts of their power and their lack of remorse and forgiveness for any type of insurgency uh, that they've witnessed. It's a pretty good start to a story, right? Yeah, and I think it's in that space that you and I both find troubling with prequels. Mm-hmm. It can't be the 75th Hunger Games or however far we are along with the... Uh, the, the new iterations yeah. because it's not. Mm-hmm. So you can't have the advanced gameplay that exists there, the cool weapons, the technology. So you've got to take that away. So the arena then loses some of it. And this one is reduced to a bit more bruising. What I say more clubs and maces and those sort of types of fighting instead of yeah. really elaborate weapons and escape plans. The second thing that I think is working against it, and this is not, I'm not making a statement on whether I like the film or not yet, but it's after this war and before we have the advanced gameplay that we're so used to. Mm -hmm. It's even before the showcasing of the tributes that we're used to. So she's left herself with this story in a pretty dry space. Mm -hmm. If we've seen, isn't the... 75th Hunger Games, I think that's where we pick it up with Katniss later on, right? Okay, so if we're 65 years prior, (laughs) which means Snow's got to be older than hell in those films. He he does look old, (laughs) Mr. Donald Sutherland. 90-ish, right? Yeah. I mean, ish? Yeah. 80, 90-ish? Yeah. That's that's not a real ripe ground Mm -hmm. for lots of what we're used to compelling conflict 
you have an immature snow, mm-hmm. so essentially Anakin. You have a game that is not going to be seen, shown, or appreciated the way we do with Hunger Games or Mockingjay or any of those other ones that we've seen later on. And you have the introduction, and I mean burgeoning introduction of what does this look like when we take it to media? So you don't even have that. So mm-hmm. there's not a lot for her here to work with yeah. except for Snow. Yeah. And so, look, the movie's not called Snow, but it because <laughs> it would be a character study. Yeah. That's what this has to be. Yeah. Now, we all want the same things. We want to see what it looks like in the arena. Mm-hmm. And we want to find people in the arena that are the good guys and the bad guys. That's still given to us. Yeah. But what's also hard, and this tripped me out, and we talked about it off mic, chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. So if you roll out chapter one and you're 45 minutes into it, holy crap, where are we? All the books are like that. Suzanne Collins writes in a three-act structure, so everyone's a very distinctly labeled. So chapter one here is called The Mentor. So we've got a lot of things that we need to get hammered out for the audience, but I don't think we have a real robust selection of tools in order to do it. Cause I like some of the ways that I've been introduced to Katniss and the showcasing of her ability to shoot the bow and arrow and Peta's ability to wield the, the, the mallet. None of that's here. These guys are just hanging out in the zoo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. It's real. Like, raw. It's, like it's, it, they're still figuring it out. It's, I think yeah, the great example is like, it's like watching Super Bowl five, which you're just watching sport to watching it now when you got, it's the, the pre-show and it's right. the commercial. Who cares? And it's the usher at halftime. Right. It's all of the pomp and circumstance versus more more of the sport. So that being that's a great way to put it. Yeah. And so we've talked about this before. The the trouble sometimes with prequels. Now, action prequels I think present an even larger challenge than other ones. But that being said, and I know this is the prequel cast, so I'm sort of devil's advocating why we chose the cast because this would say we like prequels. Yeah. Did this movie strike you as, man, that could be a disaster? Or was this, oh man, I can't wait to see that upon first viewing of the trailer? I think it struck me as it possibly could have been a disaster just because we're pretty far removed from the popularity of the Hunger Games. And I was kind of wondering, do people even care anymore about this world and this franchise? But if the story's good, people will want to go see it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh so when I saw that, and, I, and then I think I was intrigued by, oh, you're kind of doing a Breaking Bad story of sorts with Snow. This is the story of how he broke bad, right? Uh, so that's interesting to me. And then I think there's enough familiar imagery in there. Uh, Lucky Flickerman, the kind of steward to the Stanley Tucci, which I got to talk about. Dude, Jason Schwartzman's casting in this film was wow. genius. Genius. His character is so good and funny, but essentially I think the father of the Tucci character, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, peppering in enough of the foundation of the stuff we would grow to become very familiar with. Being able to send your tributes resources in the middle of the game, which is a huge problem because... The drones can kill you. Dude, the drones suck. <laughs> they 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 uncontrollable. And I, I don't know who's catching that bottle of water to begin with. Right? right, yeah. So I think there was enough peppered in there to keep me intrigued. And then I was really curious about this Lucy Gray Barrett character... And what I didn't want was this franchise to, and I didn't feel like it needed to go the Star Wars route where like, oh, fuck, like everyone's a fucking Skywalker or a Palpatine or Kenobi and everyone's related. And I was like, I don't want to watch the story about Katniss's grandma, right? right. Uh, 
And so I was afraid that they were going to go there because I didn't know what happened in the book. And I didn't know how ambiguous they really leave a, a, a lot of that. Uh, and I appreciate that the film really doesn't try to go there other than a few nods to the name, uh, which is just the plant root, uh, and the hanging tree song. And maybe that little bow that she does was kind of like the Katniss bow. Other than that, no, I don't think these two aren't related. So we didn't go, we didn't go there. We didn't to, to make the universe even smaller than it really is. Right. Cause I didn't get that. I didn't get that type of resentment from snow to Katniss of, Oh, I was in love with grandma. <laughs> I didn't get any of that in the initial film. So I think that would have been a mistake to then do that in this film. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I'm on board, but I'm I'm a little I'm a leery. little I'm a little leery, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah, the, the current state of Star Wars, which listened to last week, we talked about that for like an hour. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a little leery on going back to older franchises where maybe there's not a ton of story left to be told. But coming away from this film, I'm like, I don't know, maybe there's more story to be told in this universe, right? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, we start here in kind of a prequel to the film in the dark days with young Coralinus Snow and his sister Ty or cousin Tigress. I was I was like that character. Does that character ever come back again? Yeah, that character comes back in Mockingjay, but she's like a full on cat. Do you remember that character? Yeah, <laughs> she's like a, a jellical cat from Cats. I couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, oh, Tigress. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it looks pretty grim here. His dad's just died. You know, there's no food, there's no nothing. And then we pick it up, I guess, 10 years later, where things have kind of improved, but it still looks pretty grim outside. Yeah. Uh, he's a little older, and every year at the Academy, it seems like, you know, there's the person with the best grades gets, you know, the the Plinth Prize, the something prize. Plinth, Plinth. Plinth Prize, yeah. yeah. So much money, which, you know, you need that so you can buy food. So so it's a resource that's, I think, in high demand. So, hey, that, that would make everyone's academics go up, right? Sure, right. I want to get good grades so I can get that to support my family, what's left of my family. My mm-hmm. parents, his parents have died, right? So he's with his cousin and I guess a grandma or something. Uh, and then we're introduced to, and this is my favorite part about the Hunger Games. Uh, let me go back to, give me one second. We are introduced to Peter Dinklage's character. Dean. Uh, Casca Highbottom. And everyone has the Coralina Snow, Casca's Highbottom, uh, Finnick O'Dare. Man, if they're, gone are the names of Frank Joe. Matt wouldn't even fly. No. And the, your name would be like Bippity Bippity Slippity or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone sounds so ridiculous, but Casca Highbottom is, I guess, the game master of the Hunger. But then Viola Davis, let me get his, his exact title. No, he's the, the dean of the academy and the intellectual creator of the Hunger Games. Him and Snow's father kind of, I guess, in a drunken stupor. Launched the game. Launched the game, and then the dead died. And so now Dinklage Highbottom is kind of illy remembered for creating this blood blood sport, right? Yeah. And so I think he resents Coralanus for that, for, you know, not like it was his decision, but it's that bloodline, right? Yeah. We're always pissed at the bloodlines for some reason in this in these franchises. But they, they're doing a little switcheroo for the 10th annual Hunger Games here. Uh, we're not giving that prize out for the best grades. Instead, you are going to mentor one of these tributes, uh, and the winner gets the prize, right? 
So everyone is distraught, right? Everyone's like, well, what great odds do I have? So then it's kind of like the lottery. I guess he's pre-chosen that, you know, these students are going to get the district two kids. And of course, Snow's going to get the the bottom of the barrel, right? Number 12, yep. uh, the female from number 12, Lucy Gray Baird. Uh, what do you think of that? Is I guess that's our inciting incident, right? We're changing the structure of the games. This is what it's going to look like going forward. Make the best of it, I guess. May the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> From the creators of the game's point of view, they recognize that this thing's on life support. Mm-hmm. Nobody is starting to care at all. It's lost whatever entertainment value it had if there ever was any. And they are desperately trying to breed something new into this to keep this afloat, thus reminding people that the capital is all-powerful and don't get too far out of line because we'll whack you. But... Dinklage's character, the Dean, mentions a few times, we're really, really seeing diminishing returns on the product that we're putting out. So we're adding these new things. And when all else fails, and this is Suzanne Collins and the Ignod to reality TV, let's just try to sensationalize it. The problem, and we're going to think one of the big twists later, but I'll just speak about it now, is Dean Casket doesn't want that. Mm-hmm. He wants this to go away. He feels tremendous remorse Yeah, that in a literally drunken one-liner, well, we should just put him in an arena and have them all kill each other, Yeah, becomes where this nightmare begins. Mm-hmm. Yikes. And now after it has begun, he's the one that has to see it through because I guess essentially it's his idea, full on knowing, man, talk about good villains, Jesse, mm-hmm. that you don't really want to do this your best friend is the one that kind of made it happen. And now your best friend's son is coming along to help you monetize it. And you recognize that he might be good at it. So this isn't going to do anything to make it go away. Damn it. This is going to work. This sensationalizing is going to make this popular. Yeah. I don't really want that. Yeah. So all around Dean Casca, what's his last name? High bottom. All around <laughs> Dean high bottom are all of these troubling reminders about this terrible moment that he and his and um, Snow's father yeah. shot their mouse off at a bar one. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. We talked about how do you make a villain that doesn't want to create rubble? What if when you've created the rubble, you had no choice? Mm-hmm. Now you're just living And you that. want to stop the rubble. Yeah, it's like he's like Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Did you get a little bit of a uh, Dinklage? I think a little bit of Bolivar Trask here, right? Oh, With yeah. Yeah, the creation of kind of another race Sentinel. annihilator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, these Sentinels. Yeah. yeah. I, yes. He's pretty good at playing that. And even, uh, what's his name? Even in, in uh, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is this character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, pretty underrated actor, I think. I think he's really good. You know, he's, he, he's, play, he's playing the Toxic Avenger next year. <laughs> oh, no kidding. In a remake, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I might have to check that out. Uh, but so that's the game here. And so, of course, yeah, Snow gets District 12, and, and it's on purpose. And who's going to come compete from District 12? And we're introduced to Lucy here, uh, played by Rachel Zegler. And her first act of defiance is to put, I guess, a poisonous snake into the mayor daughter, mayor's daughter's shirt. Oh, man. Uh, surprised they didn't just like shoot her there on the premises there before she even is able to go and really stick it to them. And it's the thing is the singing, right? She starts singing from her tribute announcement and you kind of see everyone really paying attention. A, she's got a great set of pipes. B, it's kind of a slightly defiant, you know, yeah, middle finger song, right? 
Uh, and this is going to kind of embody what, what Katniss becomes later, 75 or 60, 65 years later, right? It was unruly District 12ers. I know, right? You'll, you'll get one one in a gray moon that'll kind of, you know, shake things up a bit. But I think Snow kind of sees that as like, let me use some of that. And I think he makes a good move here at the beginning, which is I'm going to go to the train station and I guess escort you to the grounds. Everyone else, I guess, will just wait for you at the zoo gates or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's not, and I think they did a good job here. I think that the, the Tom Blythe casting as Snow, I think, is really good. I think he plays the part as like a 21 year old or 18 year old Snow would play it. Uh, a little hothead, a little. Uh, and I think he gets a good taste of reality here when he's kind of rounded up with the cattle and shoved into the pen, and everyone's like, oh, what's. What's the Capitol kid doing in there? What what's going on here? And I think he's he's a trying to shake the game up, and B also gets a good taste of a reality. But then there's moments later towards the end where I feel like he's seen enough of humanity's good graces, and he, it still seems like he's playing for the Capitals team. I don't know. His character is interesting to me, and I think there's some missing things that I need to make that I think a little bit more well rounded. But I'll, I'll be curious to see where you where you come down on him, but. Yeah, what do you think of his move here to be one amongst the people? We know where he ends up, which is running the capital. So he has to be strategic and cagey. But at 18 or 19, 21 even, you're probably going to have some missteps along the way as you try to do that. And I think the movie does a great job of showing how strategic he can be, but how he's got some character flaws that prevent that from really coming through as good guy and for good purposes. And also his execution sometimes misses. Mm -hmm. Is his biggest execution flaw and the reason that some of the things he wants to do that are not violent, there's plenty of violence that he's going to start spilling later on that sort of leans us into, mm -hmm. yeah, he's kind of like, he's kind of got a screw loose up there. Yeah. Is his biggest character flaw that he ends up being lovesick with the tribute that he's taking charge of? Yeah, probably. And here's my question for you. Yeah. We talked about names. Mm -hmm. Lucy Gray. Mm -hmm. That's not Finnick O'Dare. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is an awesome name, by the way. Yeah. And to here's Daisy Jones in the Six. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you watch? Yeah, that? he's yeah he's he's great in that. That's an awesome series. Yeah. Anyway. If if I had to, you know, if I could call that like, and it was more of a mini series, but it's one of the best things I've seen this entire year. So that was the best thing I saw this year, TV mm -hmm. wise. Yeah. I mean, I like Fleetwood Mac, so mm -hmm. that's a big part of it. But yeah, we digress. Yeah. If her name is Lucy Gray. The gray part on that really stuck out to me because there is the name Snow. Yeah. And there is Katniss Ever Dean. Dean. Yeah. They do a good job in this with surnames mm -hmm. of, I think, letting you know what characters' motivations might be. Like, we don't want to say, my name is Steve Holy and I'm the good guy. It's nothing that's on nose, like on the point, like on the nose that much. Mm -hmm. Lucy Gray. Yeah. Loose, fluid, mm -hmm. flexible. Gray, yeah. that's not black or white, that's somewhere in between. And yeah. I think he falls in love with a girl that they do a fantastic job with in this movie mm -hmm. of having very questionable motives yeah. for doing what she does. And yeah. it's going to come through in the third act, and I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah. But does she ever really love him? I don't know. And that, my friend, yeah. is a movie. And you see, because I, you know what you create? Yeah. A, Unrequited love is a great reason for someone to break bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, Unless your name's Anakin. Yeah, exactly. What I almost kind of wanted from this film, which I, I think would have sold it a little bit more to me, because, yeah, there, I think there is a lot of gray with her character and especially their romance, or if she just uses it to her advances. But then at the end, it seems like she's kind of into him, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but then I kind of need a little bit more from him being like, yeah, I'm kind of really into this thing. And then I think you need to, at this point, introduce a love triangle. And they had it there with Sir Janus, <laughs> Sir Janus, whatever, however you pronounce his name, mm. where, you know, he's the kind of do-gooder that once he goes to 12, I think maybe he like kind of falls for her. I think he falls for snow. I know. It's it, it's kind of all over the place. But I think you had an opportunity there to, A, why would you be so bitter? And if it is because of love, I think that's a great motivating factor uh, in, in a story like this uh, specifically. I think you had it right there to have a really a much bigger push and pull at the end between. And then, yeah, maybe I will betray my best friend because he's stealing my girl, right? He kind of does it anyway, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that element would sell it a lot more for me. Um, but I, no, I, I'm with you. I think you know a lot of the ambiguity on on their characters. Of yeah, let me see how how well I can help her out, and then yeah, is she just using it just to survive, if she even thinks she can survive. So Snow's approach to championing Lucy Gray to win this Plinth Prize, which is named after the president of Pan Am, I believe, mm-hmm. or the mayor, governor, some political guy. It doesn't yeah. really matter. And we're going to meet that guy later because he's Sir, he's Sir Janice's father, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. He is already ahead of the curve in how he presents his tribute to the world because he's bound determined to win this. Yeah. Now, the reason he's so bound determined when maybe the other tributes don't care about this is he's really the only one in there that actually needs the money. Mm-hmm. This is very Cinderella man. Yeah. Um, what's the guy? Russell Crowe. The other guy, the, his manager. Um, Paul Giamatti. Thank you. Paul Giamatti and Cinderella man with the front of here's my beautiful house and there's nothing in it because I've lost it all. This, his family has lost it all. His dad was this very important political man, been you know killed or died. And everything has gone to the dogs. He needs this money to support his family. Okay, yeah. so now we're back to that. Mm-hmm. We have to support our family in order to do it. It's not about good grades this year, although that plays. It's about, can my tribute win? And as you start to see him constructing a model for Lucy, that is the beginning of what we see Lenny Kravitz do so well for Katniss later on in the film or later on in the series. Dean Casca tells him, it doesn't matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Even if you win this, you're not going to win that prize because I've hated you since the minute you set foot in my class. Yeah. All of that creates a very troubled background. He's like the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day. Oh, he's <laughs> messed with the bully, get the horns. Yeah. Um, very troubled background from where Snow is operating from. Add to that... If he truly does love Lucy, and I think at some points in this film you can make the argument that he does, but it might be fluid because he's a kid. And also, he's a little crazy, even in the beginning of this movie. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? You can't really pull too hard for Snow because you know what he's going to become. And if you start pulling a little too much for Lucy, then you fall into the trap that we did, which is what they're they're not going to kill jennifer lawrence in this movie because this isn't psycho and i know there's three more books coming so she's gonna survive just to show me how she does it yeah boy you're in a corner because 
Do I really want to watch the Lucy Gray story? Ah, maybe, sort of. And in the game, okay, I'll pull for her. There's a lot of moving pieces that I think Collins has in play here. Okay, so all of that is the backstory of the question that I wanted to ask you. Mm -hmm. At what point in the movie do you start thinking this is where Snow's not going to be able to bring it back to the side of holy or good? Uh, give me a chance to think about that because I don't I don't know if I've because I think there's a couple there's a couple moments, uh, yeah that that's a big one, uh, him, you know, turning on that jabber jay <laughs> to record his friend, right? Mm-hmm. I think that is the moment of the point of no return. Sides with the capital over his buddy at that point. Yeah. Because then even after that, I mean, he's still trying to do stuff for, you know, acts of defiance. Let me let me mull that one over for a little bit here. But I think, you know, okay, we're showing Snow, you know, he's he's doing good. But we're also showing his innovation because, let me get the name for you. It's Viola Davis who, like. God, she's good in this. Like, is Viola Davis an amazing bad guy? She's good. God, she's good in this. But the character seems like a, it's. What a weird character that it's just yeah. like, it feels like a character from another movie. Oh, Dr. Volminial Gall. Yeah, Gall. Uh, she's the game maker. So, yeah, there's the yeah, the game master designing all the traps and the stuff in there. I guess she's kind of put it out there that, you know, if any innovations or whatever, if you want to, you know, write it up for me, uh, maybe I'll consider it. So Snow's like, yeah, what a great opportunity to maybe put the odds in my favor. Yeah, like, let me propose that we should take donations based on how they're presented. And then we can use that as credits in the game for food, water, weaponry, whatever. Uh, And they have a great scene here where this other uh, capital Academy member tries to uh, like glean on him. Right. And it's like, Oh, we both wrote that. Right. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. And then it falls into, so she's, I guess designed these genetically modified snakes that are highly poisonous and the the paper falls in there, and she tells them that they'll attack anything that uh, a scent that they're not familiar with. And I was like, so if you did write that, it'll smell you on the paper. Yeah, and, and so you. you'll be okay. And this fool <laughs> sticks her hand in this thing. The snakes bite her. We don't know if she lives or dies. Mm-hmm. They leave that kind of gray. Um, but I think we learned a pretty cool thing about the the snakes, and that'll come come back later, right? Yep. Uh, but we kind of see this other weird mentorship. So you, ha- if you have the antithesis, which is High Bottom and Snow, which they can't stand each other, then you kind of have this weird Palpatine Vader with Viola Davis and Snow, where she's—you never know what she's thinking because she's kind of off her rocker, but she's kind of in a way mentoring the Snow, right? Yeah. Kind of showing him the ropes and kind of showing him how good you could really oh, be for sure. at something like this. Yeah. Look at the proposal that he gives her, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Gall, God, I love that name for her too. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like, do you have the gall to do that? But that just sounds bitter and yeah. uricky, acidy, mm-hmm. and all that, right? Okay, so the Hunger Games is on life support. Mm-hmm. The people of Pan Am are ready to be done with this. And if they continue down this road and the capital loses its ability to remind them of its immense power, then what we're headed for is another revolution. Mm -hmm. Because the revolution is we're not going to compete in your reaping. We're not going to be there. You're going to try to meet us with force to do it. And then where are we again? So 10 years later, 
we're going to replay the dark days. This is exceedingly important for the evildoers in the capital. Okay, so why not take those that are capable of bringing fresh ideas and use them? And the mistake that Snow makes is coming up with this idea of sensationalizing the event. So I have this proposal for you. I'd like to run it by this little, you know, coat tailor comes along with him and she gets what she gets because she lies and she basically has nothing to do with it and then pays the price for it. Yeah. What you realize, or at least what I realize in that moment is Gall is really serious about this and she's going to get her way and your livelihood doesn't matter. The game's a singular, linear, horrible focus, but she recognizes who's buttering her bread because what they're doing is not working. Yeah. And how could it? Mm-hmm. Who is going to want to sign up for that? Yeah. I get to go die in a terrible way in a series that I don't want to watch mm-hmm. that reminds us about how we lost the revolution yeah, to this tyrannical government. What in that is sellable? It's so grim, yeah. Except yeah. when you sensationalize it and reality TV it to Suzanne Credits Collins, to Suzanne Collins credit. Yeah. Way to pick up on that. Yeah. So it took, well, here it comes. Here comes her moneymaker. Yeah. Here comes her Sherpa. Mm-hmm. Here comes Mr. Sensationalism with this brilliant idea. Mm-hmm. Let's get the people that have some money in the districts to sponsor, sponsor yeah. the contestants. Then they'll have buy-in. Then people will see the pregame before the game because if seven is doing more than nine, then seven's going to have an advantage. And by God, nine wants to win because they want the food. So now you get the race for survival through buy-in in the community. And if nothing else, yeah. if you tune in nightly to the show that is just now beginning after the weather report <laughs> to or during the weather report, see what your district contributed to your champions, you have a latent interest. Mm-hmm. And when the game launches, maybe now I want to see, did all of those contributions matter? Yeah. Yeah, there's, Snow, there's, Snow's important to her, man. That's all him. That's yeah. all him. Yeah, it's sports gambling, right? It, right, exactly. <laughs> it is. It's sports gambling. You have a vested interest in like this, and it could be, you know, the Kentucky Derby, like the, the horse that you have all your money riding on, how you're going to support them, the sponsorships. It's all genius. Does Snow do that? Okay, so this is where I keep going back and forth. I, I think I'm going to go see this movie again this mm-hmm. week, by the way. I, does Snow do that because he cares about the games and he wants the betterment of them, or does he do that because he feel like he feels like he can sensationalize his champion more than the others? Yeah, and she will get a better advantage if the drones it's, don't kill her that with one. the contributions. Yeah. You think that's what it yeah, is? Yeah, because he wants to win. Okay, so that's a good thing, Jesse. Yeah. So now he's back on the side yeah. of doing good. But you know what we're doing? Mm-hmm. We're doing good with bad outcomes. Yeah, and unintended or otherwise. Yeah, enumerated or enumerated. Mm-hmm. You have the makings here of, I think, what's a strong reason why he breaks bad. Now, I'm with you. We'll get to the the third chapter. Yeah. But I think we have some very positive steps in why Snow goes the way he does. Family needs money. Yeah. I'm working for this tyrant. The games suck. I'm going to save them. I'm in love with this girl who may die. Yeah. We go, it's it's there. And I think you want to like him too, right? I mean, yeah. the second Donald Sutherland shows up, I think you already don't trust that guy in those first films, right? Sure. There's a sense of just authority and President Snow, and he's just so cantankerous and yeah. just opposition. Yeah. But uh, in this, I, I think the the trick is we have to like him. We have a short amount of time to like him uh, before it all kind of goes to hell. 
Uh, and I think they do a good job here in the beginning. And uh, the scene that I, I was kind of drawn my attention towards is, is it before or after? Essentially what's going to happen here is they're going to do a tour of the arena, which is kind of just kind of this Coliseum-like atmosphere. And then there's just a terrorist attack in the middle from District, uh, I don't know what. It, they just say it's a rebel bomb. So I don't know what district it's from. But, oh my God. Some of the academy kids, some of the tributes, I think, are killed in this thing. And it's like it's it's like if there was a bombing the day before the Super Bowl, but then you better believe we're having the Super Bowl the next day, right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. wild that this dilapidated arena, we're still going to try and make this work. Um, yeah, that was interesting to me, too, that the thing I, gets I, blown up and they just leave it. I thought that was a dream scene. When it happened, I was like, this isn't happening. Yeah. Like, this is crazy. It's just everything just falling on top of them. Snow's almost paralyzed by, like, this falling beam. And that's the moment where I think Lucy maybe does care about him. Or maybe it's just, like, there is a bit of a kind of a love connection when she does help get that beam off of his legs, right? Yeah. And then they had that really, and I can't, I can't. Or does she know he's her only hope? I don't know. If I was Lucy in that moment, I'd be like, great, they bombed this thing. I'm gone. No, the games are not happening now. Just, oh, yeah. Or, yeah, or I'll try and book it, which they uh, there's a couple that try and book it, and they get gunned down. And I can't remember if this scene happens before or after that, but it's that scene at the zoo cage where he brings her the mm-hmm. mirror with, with, the, with the rat poison in there. And you're waiting for those two to kiss. It's just like between the bars, it's loaded, it's there, and I can't remember if they kiss or not. I don't think they do. But that's where we are dancing all around this romance that I think I need in this film. I think I need them to be hot and heavy. Uh, and then I think I need it to go sour in the end. And I think that's how I buy the snow turn a little bit more versus this kind of like push and pull. Eh, she's just using him. No, it's okay if they like each other. Why not? Who's going to think? Then it's they're, they're, they're kind of dabbling into a little bit of what works so well in the first one, just that Romeo and Juliet, Katniss and Peta, whatever, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then it makes it a little more Shakespearean, which is like this tragic love thing that's just going to go south, right? I think Katniss and Peeta use each other through Haymitch in the first one to survive as well. Like he mm-hmm. constructs that romance so that they are marketable. But then towards the end, they, they, they are there. They yeah, they finally get there it. until Peeta loses his complete loses his mind completely. Um, <laughs> I think we're playing in that same space. I, th- I I don't think she has no feelings for him. Mm-hmm. I think she cares for him when she pulls the debris and the bombing that falls on him. Yes. But she also knows that he is giving her an advantage that she has to have, Jesse, because physically she is not some Marvel specimen that's going to be taking yeah, yeah. You know, X, Y, or Z down. And frankly, I'm not even sure with what weapon she's good. Like Katniss can just shoot you from 200 feet or dead between the eyes. Mm-hmm. What she sing you to death? What, what, what's she going to do? She's very poorly equipped yeah. for any sort of survival in the game other than, you know, jump in a bush and pray to God. Nobody sees me for a little while. Mm-hmm. My kids told me at school, that's a Fortnite reference. Yeah. I don't know what Fortnite is either, but it's a game that I ain't playing. I know what it is. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but in seriousness, hide out and maybe, at the end, you can find a way to survive the last three. That's kind, kind of, of what she does, right? Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Use the power of your voice or just kind of run and hide. And that's kind of what he tells her. Like, hey, there's this bomb. It's all bombed out down there. So this definitely happens after the bombing because he tells her there's tunnels now. Yeah. Go in there, hide, write it out. We'll see what can happen. But don't try. Don't 
try and just go for it, right? You'll right. you'll get killed. It's and this is an interesting Hunger Games lineup too, because a some of them have already been annihilated in this bombing. But there's a girl with Down syndrome. There's a one-armed guy. There's one-eyed guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like three or four people that are just crying and can't even stand up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the odds kind of in her favor, but... If you can survive that initial onslaught, you should be one of the final six to seven right away, yes? And then one's dead and strung up before it even starts, right? Tried to run away. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, no, it's, it's all very interesting. So let's get let's get right to it, right? Part two is called The Mentor, or not The Mentor, The Prize. Uh, So we get to the actual arena here, and they have a really great setup here. And this is where we're introduced to Lucky Flickerman, played by Jason Schwartzman. And it's kind of this TV setup, and everyone's got their own little monitors where they can send care packages and whatnot to their tributes. But the television of this whole Hunger Games is on, right? Uh, The first time they're doing it, they picked a really animated person to do this he's got a, a flair for the theatrical uh he's been interviewing them kind of off to, in the zoo cages and whatnot but here we go it's game time on three two one go live or die and it's pretty crazy from the as every hunger games beginning is and as kind of Peter learned was his his strategy in those hunger games was just to run into the forest mm-hmm. i'm gonna run and just hide and just i'll, I'll let them come to me but here, there's not a lot of room to do that. There's not a lot of room to hide other than the subterranean tunnels. Everything's kind of out in the open, and that's something I really like. I, I do like that this is a more rudimentary and a more simplified version of the game arena. There's not a lot of outs here, right? There's not a lot of hiding places, so you do kind of have to to fight and just fight or be killed. And I think Lucy Gray is, like, almost killed a couple times because some people are pretty good with an axe and a machete and whatnot, but... She's able to hide downstairs with her other District 12 buddy. Uh, they're going to kind of ride it out. But everyone's very distrusting of each other. Oh, what did you put in that water? What did you put in this? He's got rabies because he got bit by some sort of weird bat on the train, <laughs> right? Uh, but what do you think of, A, the games and then the the Flickerman media presentation of what we're going to be dealing with here? It just looks like them still trying to figure it out, and that's what I really like. Mm-hmm. Flickerman's fine, but he's not great yet. He's mm-hmm. sort of clunky, and and it, it's growing. You mm-hmm. can see it. It's in an infancy state. I also did like the arena. Yeah. You know, the more nooks and crannies are, the more you can hide and the more you can use the environment. What if you don't have the environment? Mm-hmm. This is clearly designed to be a day or two-day event, not the week-long events like we see towards 74 and 75. So, yeah, I liked all that. The only cover they have is from the debris that was the result of the explosion, and that's essentially just a, a large mound of concrete and dirt that sort of accumulated in the middle of the arena. Yeah. And I guess if you climb up on that, that's fine, but then what do you do when you're up there? They want a bloodbath. They want a gladiatorial-like event, and it's hard not to draw the correlation between where we're seeing them fight in the movie and the Roman Colosseum equipped with the tunnels underneath the same way this is. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great approach. I like it. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah, me too. And there's a good push and pull there. And, you know, they start biting the biting the bullet right away. The, the guy that, you know, was, you know, strung up, he's gone. Uh, and you just see the, the screens go dark. Those, you know, uh, Academy members are, you know, escorted out of the premises. 
And then night settles in, and it kind of quiets down. It's kind of like, oh, what kind of action there? I think this is 24-hour programming, right? Stuff could happen in the middle of the night here, but there's some interesting things that they do. This one girl kind of climbs up and tries to free her friend, her district mate, give him a proper, you know, dignified, you know, you know, ending. Uh, and then that's when we kind of get into the, all the stuff, like when the, uh, with Sir Janus, you know, coming in to see his fallen member and kind of weeping over, and a, a big no, no, why are you sneaking onto the game board? And then B Snoke goes in there to get you out. Cause he, he's trying to be a friend to you, right? You know, they're, they're going to make you pay for coming, coming onto the board here. And that's where they're attacked with by the one armed district member. Uh, and then this is that moment you were talking about where snow bludgeons this guy to death, which I would do that too. You know, if I got a guy coming after me, I'm going to have to put him down too. Right. Yeah. Snow gets the job of having to go into the arena mm-hmm. at the behest of the Capitol. Yes. And when he's in there, he's given a very strict order. So this is actually, I think, off camera. Yes. And we've got to take care of this and you've got to get out of there. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen. So Snow's got to run into there and he accomplishes, you know, does does the the district's bidding, the capital's bidding, if you will, mm-hmm. and is out. He's, he barely escapes, but... After he's escaped, he decides to take, I think it's a pole with a piece of concrete, mm-hmm. and he smashes that one tribute's head to bits mm-hmm. and doesn't stop. One would do it, Jesse. One would render that guy ineffective, if not dead. And there are four or five more blows that follow. So now you're looking at Snow like, boy, he kind of liked that. And he admits I, as much in a little while that he sort of liked it. Yeah, taste for the violence, yeah. So what about that? Because now we're starting to see a major, obviously, mm-hmm. character flaw in Snow. But I also do believe, though, mm-hmm. that he wouldn't just run out and be the peacekeeper. Like, I don't believe that he would do that. That seemed like something I would probably expect Snow to do. And I don't know if that's because I know where he becomes or mm-hmm. what he becomes later on in the story. Or if that's through some of the actions that he's taken in this particular film. Maybe a little bit of both. But I totally buy it. What, what, he's, what? he's not he's not a healthy dude, man. Yeah, yeah. The the part I think it's the doing it multiple times, like because I it's survival of you know fight or flight, right? What are you gonna do? And there's literally no exit. Yeah, I, I, you have to put him out. Like any any normal person would probably do the same yeah. if you're driven to that that end. But it's the taste of liking it and just being like, yeah, it's just like yeah, one would have done it five. Maybe overkill, right? But I'm still on his side. I'm still feeling for him. He still has a tribute in play here. And then they do a lot of really fun stuff in the game here where the rat poison comes into play and they're going to try and... Uh, the drones. This is where the drones come and bring water. And it's a freaking disaster, oh, right? God, yeah. <laughs> the, the drones are taking out the, the, the tributes here. So what good is this as resource? So they're still figuring that out. But there's like four or five bottles of water, and she goes and puts rat poison in in one of them, and then dumps out the other, so that when this weird collective that's and that's what I always like about the Hunger Games is there's always this like gr- they like group together, and I'm always like, what's your end game? Because eventually, to win this game, you're gonna have to start killing each other, right? So it's like you form an alliance of sorts, and she's gonna try and. Get all of them here, which is drink from this water, this plentiful resource, and it's going to take you out. So, uh, unfortunately, though, it doesn't go to the one she designed. It's from someone totally 
Yeah, it's one. Of, it's one of the people that had didn't want to be there, and she's like weeping the whole the whole thing, and takes a swig and is is done in seconds, right? So now Lucy is faced with this. Mm-hmm. Either way, I was going to be a murderer, but at least in one, because she hasn't killed anybody yet. Mm-hmm. At least in one of those versions of murdery or murder, it would be someone who was the bad guy in the game. Yeah, and instead she takes out kind of one of the innocents in the game. Mm-hmm. So now, what does that do to her? Well, she's got some tough truths she has to handle. Now, it's either kill or be killed, so maybe that helps a little bit. But at no point in this has Lucy been murderous. Mm -hmm. She's been hide out in the tunnels. I mean, you can see by the minute that her colleague from District 13 or District 12 is becoming more and more infected and and crazed with the rabies from the bat that he got on the train bite. You know where that's going. Mm -hmm. And she's still trying to take care of him. So... They've done a really good job of letting me believe that Lucy is above this and not able to do away with the people who want to kill her. It's a good way to make a hero. And then when she tries to do a heroic act and essentially it backfires, what now? No, not, not so much what now for me. What now for her? Yeah. And, and she changes for me from this point. She's a different person. Too. Yeah. And she, you know, she's definitely in flight mode for kind of the rest of this year until... And I kind of don't like that this happened off screen. And it had me going, who, what? There's this news announcement that this other Academy member, Felix, because I think he's the son of the mayor or the president or something, has died Mm -hmm. from the results of the bombing. Mm -hmm. A, we never saw what happened, what fell on him, and then B, just dies off screen in a hospital. That was kind of weak. That was weak. And I just didn't know who it was. So I didn't, the importance of it is just lost on me at that point. Uh, I can only keep track of so many of these academy kids because I'm trying to remember tributes and district members and all these weird people. It is odd, though, that there's a bit of a satire there. Yeah. These ones that are killing each other off are shown in primetime, mm-hmm. broad daylight, and off screen with with nary a mention or remembrance, and yet the political yeah. leader gets a, we're going to stop the game and have 15 minutes. Like That's sort of who's controlling things and what favors do they get because they control things. Yeah. And it really spins gall out, right? Because her decision is, well, I'm going to go drop the snakes on the snake tube on them. Yep. Essentially. She's going to kill them. All right. Mm -hmm. You kind of see that as like, this is just, okay. These hunger games are a wash. It's been besmirched with tragedy. So I'm going to drop this in there and, you know, finish what, this off. They're all going to die and we'll just end this thing quickly, right? Is that kind of how you got it? Yes. Yeah, because they can't survive these snake bites. But the genius of this has been set up really well. Like yeah. it is, okay, enough's enough. Let's be done and, and we'll try again next year. We've got some good things, but this didn't quite work out. Mm-hmm. Snow, yeah. smart enough mm-hmm. to put a swatch of clothing into the tube of snakes that was Lucy Gray's. Yeah, a so, handkerchief, right? Right. So now her scent is on that that piece of clothing and the snakes have become accustomed to it, which, as we've said earlier, if they recognize your smell, they're less likely to attack you. Boy, these snakes are fast, though. Mm -hmm. These are some mobile, fast, easily (laughs) climbing snakes. Yeah, and so they make, you know, mincemeat of the other tributes, and then as they're ascending to Lucy Gray, they... They wrap around her, but they don't attack. So everyone's like, oh, this is weird. This is strange, right? Did you like that she's singing? Well, they, that's the you know the titular, that's sort of the title, the ballad of the songbirds and snakes. Yeah. I think that's the moment, right, where 
But is that what kept them from squeezing no, her no, or no. biting her? She no, just no, no. singing. It's the scent that is right. why they're not right. biting her. I guess her response in that moment is just to sing. Right. But everyone else thinks it's the singing that's warding them away, right? Yeah. So it's part of the legend that, you know, she's building for herself too. And it's that moment when they're all watching and they're sing- she's singing and it's amazing and they're not biting and everyone's like, Call him off. End it. Like she mm-hmm. won. She won. She won. Like like snow cr- yeah. from the highest mountaintop. Stop. That's it. Game over. She's won. They're all dead. She won. Yeah. And yeah, I think there is a real push pull, and you feel that again in that first Hunger Games, where yeah, if you do, if Peta and Katniss eat these berries and they both die, dude, there's going to be riots in the street, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of here, I think as well. I was like, if you let this person die, that's kind of winning people over for whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's there's going to be hell to pay, so you better let her win, right? Yeah. She acquiesces, lets her win, but uh-oh, we found out about the cheating, or I don't even know if it's cheating other than, like, just being privy to knowledge, right? And trying to give your, you know, your tributes an advantage. I think there should be some of that, even if it's a little dirty. I mean, yeah, give them an extra thing of rap point. I mean, it's, you're trying to give your, your tributes an advantage any way you see put. So. Right, yeah. But that that ain't going past high bottom, right? No, he he has a grudge, so he has so Snow has to go in. It's post winnings. He thinks he's going to get the prize, get this cash. His family's going to be set up nicely, and it's the 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 pocket of rat poison and the handkerchief. And he's like, "You cheated, Mister Snow, and you're going to have to serve twenty years in in the peacekeeping force." Oh man, foot soldier, beat cop. It's a pretty it's a pretty hard sentence, right? So twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. About 40 is when he gets out of this thing. Mm -hmm. Yikes, man. (laughs) That's pretty rough. Yep. So, again, the strategy shows up, though, right? Because as he's getting assigned to whatever district he wants, he negotiates with the assigning officer to be moved to to Lucy's district Mm -hmm. because at least he's going to be with his girl then. Yeah. I think he's probably okay. I don't think he wants to work for the, the capital in that manner, but at least she's there. And you see, this is where this is where the film starts to trouble me a little bit because that type of decision making send me to twelve because I'm not a capital boy. Mm-hmm. You've soured me on any type of political leadership, and the the machine's broken. Yeah. But then later, when they're wearing the suits, he's like, "Don't be." He's telling us, "Don't be talking to the locals and don't be doing that." I just don't know what Snow has like a foot in both camps. No, I think he does too. And I think with Sir Janus, who also ends up going to 12 with him, which plays into the love triangle that maybe is there, isn't there. And I think there's another one, but it's also underplayed in the film. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. Um, Is he ready to serve his time and move on or get out with good behavior? Is he ready to just do... The capital's bidding. Is he happy being there because at least he can keep an eye on Lucy? Or does any of that even matter? Because whatever the plan might be from any of the possible solutions I just gave you or even ones that we're, I'm not aware of, Sir Janus is going to mess it up because he's so revolutionary. He keeps breaking the rules that he's putting snow in proximity to company. And here's the thing, no matter what Sir Janus does, Nothing bad's going to happen to him because his dad's a political guy. Yeah. So he's going to have to take the bullet for his buddy who he doesn't even really like because that Sir James guy's kind of a pain in the ass. Well, the, 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 the part that is, okay, yeah, I think the, the right path to take would be the political has, the, the capital has soured on you and you've soured on it. You'll do your servitude because that's better than death. Mm-hmm. 
and you go get a real taste of slice of life of what District 12 has to offer. But it's that scene, it's that first person that they hang, and Sir Janus is like, I wanted to do something. I, I almost I almost stopped it from happening. And Snow's line, I believe, is something like, but th- th- we're here, we have to stay in line. We have to, and they didn't feel like Snow at that point would say that. No, I feel like he'd be like, yeah, I kind of agree with you, buddy. Okay. And then it's the moments coming up here that are going to turn where he does go, oh man, I'm full capital boy, right? Mm-hmm. But then I don't even know if that's sold well enough to me either. So I'm a little troubled here in part three, The Peacekeeper, which <laughs> see, we're getting into hour two of the movie. And I told you it's a bit long in the tooth, but I think it needs to be because I don't think I need two movies of this story. Right. So I'm okay with that. But there's a little bit of slip up here, but I don't know. Give me your perspective here. I mean, this is where we go to Lucy and we get that great tune that I played at the beginning. Um the bluegrass band in the in the industrial district. It's bluegrass night. Um, but they're hanging out together. They seem like they're getting along pretty good. Again, it's not, I won't call it hot and heavy the way I would think, you know, uh, a romance where two people are really into each other are. It's almost like, but then again, this is where that gray comes in. Is she really into him? But I think she is. I don't know. I don't know here. I don't. Yeah. I don't think she is. And I think he is. But he's also into protecting her. But she doesn't need him at this point anymore. So why he, care? He think I think he wants her to need him not for protection physically, but for like love. She wants her he wants to protect her heart. Look for all of the Sir Janus, stop doing this, follow the rules. He's breaking them on the daily because when his shift is over, he's sneaking off in the woods with Lucy and co. to go skinny dipping. I know. So it's so when it suits him, I think it's okay. But I don't think he's been consistent in his motivations in so far for most of this film, except for I'm going to do what suits me best. That's his innate flaw for me is he's terribly selfish. Yeah. So... Everything that you brought up, is he capital boy? Is he not? I, I, yeah. yeah I, I mean, he's going to sell out his best friend because his best friend is just talking about essentially staging a revolution. And while that's happening, he turns on one of the Mockingjays mm-hmm. and records it and then sends it to Gaul. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you would say at that point, well, you know, he is obviously pro-capital, except because he is Sir Janus's buddy and nothing is going to happen to Sir Janus because he has political protection from his father. Yeah. Plinth, Mr. Plinth, mm-hmm. the guy that gets the award. like his, That's his dad, mm-hmm. or the guy the award is named after. They're going to come after him, like, and he tells them that. You're going to dick around, you're going to be fine, and they're going to come after me. And not only does that probably kill me, but that makes my quest of attaining Lucy all the more difficult. Yeah. Even that, though, Jesse... All of that is I, I, me, 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 self-motivated. First thought is me. I'm selfish. See, this is where I kind of need that love triangle where Sir Janus, Sir Janus's values and Lucy's are a little bit more in line than Snow and Lucy, right? Sure. And so we see her gravitating more towards him and his way of thinking and being a man of the people, a man of the revolution, uh, a do-gooder. And then, then you start to see Snow kind of start to bring back that capital boy of just like, you're taking a girl from me. Like, I need one or the other, right? And I need them to be a little bit more all in than just kind of what I feel is like a little half in on each. Um, 
But I don't know. Maybe I need to read the book. Maybe it's a little bit more clear in the text, but maybe. I feel like that would have translated well to the screen because essentially it's going to boil down to this crazy scene where on bluegrass night, whatever, uh, they're doing some sort of like weapons deal in the back room and it's the mayor's daughter and her boyfriend and Snow ain't about this. So he kills the mayor, shoots the mayor's daughter in the back. This other nondescript character kills the boyfriend. Well, because she threatens to take all the information to her father and yeah. expose them, mm-hmm. which is going to then expose him and his ring yes. of not following the Capitol's orders. Exactly, yeah. So it turns into a bloodbath. Yeah, it's a mess. And he kills his second person mm-hmm. and all hell breaks loose. And... The response to that is, I'll clean this up, Lucy. And this is in between like set one and set two for Lucy's performance that night. <laughs> you get back up there and continue to, you know, perform. And I'll make sure nobody knows about this. But the key component in this is not even the bodies. It's where we're going to dispose of the weapons. Yeah. And they go missing for about 30 minutes. Okay. So as we move ahead through the story, we see this rather awkward courting between Lucy and Snow, and the conversation that really struck me is when they were talking about trust. So they are post-skinny dip or almost skinny dip, sitting lakeside, and they have this very insincere, robotic discussion about, well, I'll trust you. Well, you can trust me. And there's nothing natural or assuring or genuine about any of that. In that moment, I thought... Neither one of these two trusts each other, but they're the only ones who can trust each other. And here's my other thought at this mm-hmm. point. For as comfortable as Lucy seems to be with the, and I'm doing scare quotes around this because I know you guys can't see it, seduction of snow yeah. that never quite materializes other than maybe a kiss in the lake when they're swimming and her like kind of brushing up against his body and kind of resting <laughs> in his arms. Like just... Very yeah, it's light. immature yeah, light. Okay, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I think Lucy's far more experienced in matters of the heart than Snow is. And I think she, in a sense, is sort of femme fataling him here a little bit. Playing him along as the protection should she need it. Because now she's got an in to the Capitol. And if all hell breaks loose, at least I have Capitol protection. And this dude will lie and protect me. The other thing that's tripping me out in this sequence, too, is, like, Bern Gorman, his, like, commanding officer yeah. here at uh, District 12, mm-hmm. knows who he is yep. and gets him kind of this new duty to go work at two for a couple of years, and then you can get back to, to, to one, right? Mm-hmm. And so his plan now is, Lucy, come with me, and I got a road back to one. I don't know if Snow wants to... Dude, the Capitol hates your guts. Why do you want to go back to one so much? To me, the character move here, and I'm 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 sour mashing quite sure, a bit yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. You want to stay at twelve. You want to stay there with her because this life makes more sense than everything that they just put you through. I don't know why he's so gung ho to go back to one man. So that doesn't work for me. And of course, Lucy doesn't want to go back to one, right? She wants to stay here. So that there's that push and pull of like, ah, I guess I'll go. Eh, maybe I'll go with you. And it's not until we're, we're hanging people here at the hanging tree where. We're going to get to the cabin moment, right? Yeah, she tells him that as much, what she just said. You may want to go back to one, but I'm not entirely sure I want to stay at one. And the question then is, or I want to, I'm going to stay here in 12. Yeah. Why? What is here in 12? You can sing anywhere. This place is a shithole. Remember where Snow comes from. He comes from a position 
of in most of his life privilege yeah. and money. And that's been taken away. I understand why she wants to stay there because it's home. I also understand why he might want to go back to one because that feels like home to him. Yeah. I think he, everything you said, yeah. I, I can see it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not struggling with it as much because this moment that's coming right now is what really tripped me out. Mm. Okay. So they have essentially decided that their days are numbered. Yeah. He's going to move on, but let's have some time together. And maybe we have our final afternoon and it sort of seems like to me because it's just the two of them without, I, I felt like they were leaving together to start. And this is how I took it. They were leaving together to start a new life because Sir Janus was hanged. Spruce was hanged. They're hot on the trail of them. Cause no one knows where these guns are. So we're going to go off to the woods and I guess forge a new life somewhere in between seven and eight, right? <laughs> Just... Maybe, but then there's a really crazy line there, Jesse, mm-hmm. when they're talking about what has happened in the past. And he says, when I've killed three people. Yeah. And she stops and says three, which mm-hmm. obviously she's, am I number three? Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you because there's been such resistance and she knows his secrets. I think he's close to being out or troubled with whether he's in or out. I think he means her. We get to the cabin and the guns are revealed. Yeah. And she says, look underneath the floorboards. There's blah, 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 blah. He picks up the floorboard, which is like a secret compartment. And there are the guns in there. The only way the guns would be there would be the guy that was in that shootout in between act one and act two of Lucy's performances that was given the guns to dispose of. Yeah. Put them in that cabin. Here's the thing, Jesse, mm-hmm. that cabin is Lucy's family's cabin. How the fuck does that guy know about the hiding place in the cabin? Unless here's your triangle. Mm-hmm. He's been there with her and snow realizes, Oh man, I've been played. Yeah. She's not with me. She's with that guy. Yeah. She's just using me. Yeah. And I like this moment. I like I like kind of the term because there's no going back from this setup, right? And then she tries to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, she lays a snake trap for him. Again, and his mother's scarf yeah. that he gave her. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that all works really well for me. And then the ambiguity, if he shot her in the middle of the forest as, you know, the Mockingjays are going Weird. ape shit, right? Weird. Of uh, the singing. So that's all good for me. I just wish the lead up to it was just a little bit more. Yeah, I could see that. I'm in more in love with you or the love is clear or the, the, the alliances to district one and 12 are a little bit more clear in terms of the character development. Like it, this is the moment where, yeah, of course this ultimate betrayal. Yeah. Fuck 12. I don't want nothing to do with this yeah. place. Of course I'm going back. Yeah. But he already had a foot in one before this. So that's why I don't buy it as much as you do, but it's, I think it's all pretty well staged. I think this is a really great finale. That definitely gave me a lot of questions leaving the theater. I think we have a lot of them in this third, the third act, Mm -hmm. essentially the 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 peacekeeper. Yeah. He sells out his best friend. I understand why, but he sells out his best friend to gall. Like you'd rather side with gall than him. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he's a man without a team. Why do you think he betrays his buddy, right? I mean, is it just because, is it the capital alliances? No, because what Sir Janus is doing is going to involve Snow. Mm -hmm. So if Sir Janus gets busted in this this revolution, he feels like, he being Snow, feels like nothing's going to happen to that guy. 
And they're going to make an example of the peacekeeper who didn't follow the district's orders, capital's orders, and they're going to hang my ass and I didn't have anything to do about it. And this is the proof that shows you I didn't have anything to do with this. Again, he sells out his buddy, selfish, Mm -hmm. because he knows nobody's going to protect his neck except him. And I still feel at this moment he has a hope that if he can just get through whatever this peacekeeper bit of his life is, he's going to be able to get his chick Mm -hmm. and they're going to get out of there and they can start a life somewhere else. But I do think the reason he wants to get back to one is because that's where Tigris is. So we have all these family ties, but honestly, if Sir Janus was your, let's, let's you and me are there. Yeah. If it's you and me and snow and Sir Janus, I'm not trusting that Sir Janus guy any further than I can throw him. Yeah. Fuck that guy. He's that not only does like, does he, I'm trying to get with Lucy, but that dude's trying to get with me. I know, but if I'm trying to change, I I might want to lean into this rebellion a little bit because the Capitol royally screwed me just a couple months ago. I wonder if he is trying to change. I wonder if he, I wonder if he thinks he can be capital boy with Lucy and be fine. Have it all, have his cake and eat it too. That's crazy. (laughs) I think he is crazy. It's interesting. It's just, I, I guess it's just a little bit of not what I wanted. And it's just, it, it, yeah. it leaves it a little more gray. Uh, in terms Do you of, think he shoots her? And kills her? Yeah. I guess we should talk about Do you that. think he even sees her? I think he sees her because me as the audience, I saw a, her running. Yeah, I saw her running. But did he kill her? No. I don't even, okay, right. I agree with all that. Yeah. I don't even know if he sees her. Hmm. He's been bitten by that snake. He's, he's spun out. Yes, he's got poison running through his body. Uh, which somehow miraculously he doesn't die from that. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to for a minute um, true grit it and suck the poison out. And <laughs> but you're not supposed to do that, ladies and gentlemen. Not a good idea. Yeah, because uh, then you just ingest it. Also, yeah, because now it's in your mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think he sees her. Interesting. And you start to wonder: Has a lot of these decisions that he has made now been from this perspective that's not entirely sane? He is kind of crazy. And when you bash someone's head open mm-hmm. with a piece of concrete and a pipe on it mm-hmm. and essentially say, yeah, kind of like the power, you kind of liked it. Crazy people say that because mm-hmm. he, if you're in the arena, that's a different story. He's not. I mean, he is, but he's not. He's there for a purpose, but he's not a contestant. He killed somebody else's tribute. Mm-hmm. Is he, which you could also make the case that also further purposes his goal. Mm-hmm. If there's one less tribute, there's one less person to kill Lucy. He's one step closer to winning the prize. I guess what I'm trying to say here at the end of the day, and I think it's all pretty well done. It's all very well acted um, by these young actors. Uh, I'm kind of look. I'm looking for that Michael Corleone characterization of. <laughs> I'm in, and then I'm all in, right? Or I'm out. You pull me back in, then, and then I'm all out. Like, like seeing a little bit more from Snow, and I think the film had it set up perfectly. Of like, yeah, we'll show show him good natured. We'll break him down. We'll literally turn him down to nothing. And then we have to do something that really gets him on the side. And I think we do. I just think there's a few missing puzzle pieces to that. Like, you know, Michael's, you know, kind of turn. You know, there were Michael turns really quick. Like once Dad dies, I mean. Michael's all in on being the godfather of the Corleone family, and there's no turning that guy back after that. He will kill a brother. He will kill everyone that yep. stands in his way. Yep. So I don't know. Just I think that's the, the the one piece missing for me. But well, I mean that's certainly high character. 
expectations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're talking about the greatest character maybe of all time. Right. <laughs> yeah. And this is never going to be that. Sure. Yeah. And I do agree. There's, there's room to show him one way or the other, but what's, this is really interesting because I feel like you and I have changed bodies today. Okay. You are usually the guy that's, I really love the ambiguity and I'm all about it. And I'm usually like, no, no, I need hard character rules that we follow. And it seems like this episode, it's a yeah. little bit switched. Cause although that's all fair, you're, you're right. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I wasn't as troubled by it. Yeah, that is interesting. It's just, I don't know if the ambiguity, you know, if I wanted a little more clarity just because I know what this leads to. Yeah. And, and maybe it's the year gap. 65 years is a long time to get to where we are going. And I don't need to see the snow story at Hunger Games 30, right? I, I mean, like, I, I get what they're they're trying to do here, but. So he's lovesick, mm-hmm. betrayed, under the tutelage of, I think, the most wicked character of anybody we've been introduced in the Hunger Games, that's Gaul, because she brings it back and says, you passed my test, and now I'm ready to take you under my wing and teach you exactly how to do this. Mm-hmm. He goes and kills Dinklage. So that's the third person. So I, maybe that's who he is speaking about is, is Dinklage, mm-hmm. but she doesn't read that right. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of missing pieces that lean me into, as much as you and I might be frustrated with it and have these questions... And that fictitious real world, mm-hmm. he's really living that. Yeah. Add to it, I'm hungry, my family's a mess, all that other stuff. And I actually have blood on my hands, mm-hmm. a couple cases of blood on my hands. Yeah. And there's a lot of people out there that have secrets about me that, man, I don't know if it's my best interest that those people that have my dirt are able to keep on breathing. Sure. So I buy that he wouldn't make the most A- plus B equals C decisions. I have some like A plus B equals yogurt kind of outcomes because I'm not even sure he 21, mm-hmm. I, 18. Yeah. I like all this. I, I get mm-hmm. where you're at. I really, I, I like all this stuff. Well, I like the wrapping up because the wrapping up makes a lot of sense as to kind of like what, where were the snow that, that we know and hate, right? Is yeah. yeah. He goes back to Gaul. Yeah. You passed me tests. Let me teach you some things. I can teach you to be the best game master that's ever been. Right. He goes to Dinklage, and then they kind of have it out of like, yeah, your dad created this thing that I always resented. Now it's the only thing people remember me for. Yep. But he has a little more rat poison trick in here, and I guess Dinklage is addicted to more, these morphine capsules yeah. or whatever uh, Panem drug this is. Takes it and just dies out on the on the thing here. So got to get rid of you because you're a, you're you're a pretty big obstacle in front of me. And then I think in a miss here, this is like, you know what? You know, maybe we could bring a little Matrix into the end of the Hunger Games. Like, we should play the, the that song at the end of the first Matrix here, the the Rage Against the Machine song, as he's walking out to the statue. And now, now Snow's arrived, right? Yeah. Now I get it. Because yeah. uh, this is what you're leading towards, this guy. Uh, now he's going to have a real resentment for 12. The second he hears the cat in his name, he's like, oh, my God, that route, mm-hmm. that damn place. Like, like I, I went there once. Not a great time. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. Uh, but, again, I'm really glad. Like, I, I would have been super mega hard on this film if we went down that route. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Katniss's grandma. I'm like, this. Yeah. I was just, I didn't need that with this story. I don't need that with a lot of stories because I think the world itself is more interesting than just making everyone freaking related. Same family, right? It's just, it's too, you just shrink your world. You shrink your world too much. Yeah. It's, I don't need it to be the PETA family. I don't need yeah. it to be the Liam Hemsworth family. Like, I don't need any of those ties because the the, the 12 is enough of a tie, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And the Hunger Games for me, like, were really like I, I love the arena stuff. I really do. Mm-hmm. Like, too. the films one and two were fantastic. When when they get to the games and they're just crazy and we're just killing people. Yeah. And each game board has its own set of rules mm-hmm. and obligations. But man, when we get to three and go to uh, a snail's crawl, or three and four, I guess, because they split into two. Yep. The resistance movement to the capital, dude. The series really loses me at at mocking J one and two. I'm with you. I really bail, and yep. I, I, it's kind of a shame because one and two were solid. Well, wasn't the thing we've always said? You and I have always talked about like how is like if the strength of the films <laughs> is the games, how are we not putting Snow in the games? Exactly. Right? Like exactly. Put shove him in the game. Shove Julianne Moore into the games too. All these detestable uh, mm-hmm. adults. Mm-hmm. That we can't stand. The West Bentley, all oh no, I guess they kill him at the end of one. But all the if the authority is all glitz and glam, like let's get these people to nut up or shut up, right? Right. And that could have been an opportunity to like really spin the games on there. And then you can shove Katniss in there too, and now she's going up against snow. Like, and what's an old man gonna do there at that point? Then you have a moral judgment call to make. That's that's the most dangerous game. Mm-hmm. She goes in there with them having nothing to hunt them down. Mm-hmm. And realizes I've become what they were. Yeah. That is so obvious. A huge miss. Yeah. Instead, it becomes singing songs and underground bunkers and all of the bullshit that that, that yeah. like brainwash pitas and unwatchably bad yeah. storytelling. It's so slow and dry. Oh and my God. We go to a, like literally a snail's pace. And yeah, just I think that's a, a huge miss with how they end up wrapping up the whole story. But yep. This is definitely a better ending than than what what that is there. Agreed. So I think that's like I don't think I have anything else to say about the Hunger Games series. So I guess let's get into it. Favorite yep. tasting note, moment, scene, sequence of the Hunger Games: Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. When he pulls up that floorboard and finds the guns under there, and he realizes like this bitch has betrayed me, whether she has or not. Mm-hmm. I think she has. Yeah. But man, I'm like, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Look out. Look out, because you had the reversal recognition of all that, right? Crisis conflict resolution. I think mine's going to be the actual games. I look, I, I like how uh, played down they were, because it was a smaller arena, but they still had a lot of things to offer, and they were fast and furious. Like, once they get going, that's always, like, my favorite part is, like, let's see who's going to die quickly. Mm-hmm. And, man, Lucy Gray almost bites the bullet a couple times, right? I mean, she just gets gets out of there. But I think it was a pretty unique little game board uh, for what I would imagine the tenth Hunger Games being right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a to, to get from seventy five where it's this lavish mountain forest with endless possibilities. Yeah, we got to work up to that, right? Uh, so that's interesting. The one thing I wish I wish they could you know have the audience maybe vote on what the game board is going to be for like the next year. Like have like three options up there, and then they pick like the right one. That's cool. Because we're, we're right around that time. I mean, like, 2012 is like that young adult, like, Harry Potter's wrapping up, Hunger Games takes off, Twilight's still happening, we're doing Divergent, we're doing the Maze, Maze Runner. Runner. Like, dude, we're doing a, a ton of these things. And, dude, that's all kind of gone right now. Yeah. Dude, we're just living the superhero world, right? Except the Percy Jackson stuff's pretty popular then. Yeah, too, I, I guess, yeah, they did two of those movies, yeah. So, trying to find ways to take those... YA and... YA novels, it. yeah, mm-hmm. which... They did for the most part. It 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 they did it did for the most part. But when you go to Barnes and Noble, there's a whole YA section. Like that's mm-hmm. like an unmined battleground of content there that mm-hmm. I think. But not every franchise is a winner, right? I think it takes the right world and the world building to make it work. I think that's why Potter worked. That's why I think this worked. And 
like I think that's why you know something like that version was just like eh, it's just a little more. There's nothing kind of unique, uh, wholly unique about it, right? Yeah. What is the oh my God! moment of Hunger Games? Bell of the Songbirds and Snakes. That arm steal that goes south, and he just guns down the mayor's daughter. Jesus Christ! Did you realize what you just did? Yeah. Two act threes for you. Yeah. Mine's going to be that terrorist bombing of the arena because, mm-hmm. A, I thought it was a dream. B, I didn't know, okay, how was this going to fit into the narrative? Oh, they're just going to race on top of it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was wild. I thought that was, you know, normal people would cancel and, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see you next year. Yeah. Not these, you know, violence-hungry freaks, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Who's the master distiller on Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes? The cat that paid, played Snow. What's his name? Tom Blythe. Who is that? I don't know. <laughs> See, that's smart. Yeah. That we don't know who he is because. Well, they probably went like, let's get Donald Sutherland Light in here. Like, let's get someone that looked like him in his early, teen, late teens. Yeah, Tom Blythe. He's, yeah, it's pretty good casting. And he looks, he looks like the student would look with his swooped over fluid hair early. And he looks like the soldier boy with it shaved as well. Yeah. I, he, I, he was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good good performance. Uh, Have you ever seen Tom Blythe in anything? Mm-mm. Yeah, all right. Yeah, Rachel Ziegler's pretty good in this thing. Yeah, I think Dinklage is good. Yeah. But the the one that he had me cackling, and I just thought it was just it was so good because I know what Tucci's bringing to the role. Jason Schwartzman's fantastic in this movie, mm-hmm, and we is. we didn't talk a lot about him, and he's just essentially the commentator. He's the Chris Collinsworth of the Hunger Games. Here's a guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But all of his quips <laughs> and one-liners, they were funny. And mm-hmm. it, it was like really well-placed comedy amidst like supreme violence. Should we give a nod to Viola Davis in this? Yeah, she's pretty good. Again, I'll still stand by. I think it's a character that belongs in another movie entirely. Yeah. A movie starring Nicolas Cage probably. But yeah. uh, no, she's good here. Wild, zany. Um, yeah, I don't think the acting's ever been bad in The Hunger Games. I mean, you have... Elizabeth Banks is Effie, Effie Trinket. Trinket. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Hamish, uh, Lenny Kravitz. Eventually, you get Philip Seymour Hoffman in those movies. Uh, Wes Bentley, uh, Sutherland, Jennifer Lawrence. The acting's really good. I think that's the, maybe their strength. I mean, it's that's why the Potter films work so well, too. Is they pick Philip Seymour Hoffman. I forget him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, did. yeah. Okay, I yeah. think it's his last, you know, credited role is Mocking Jay Part 2, which yikes. It's <laughs> good. Really, really well cast. Well cast, well acted. Um, yeah, the characters seem really well thought out. Although, I don't know, that Gail Hawthorne, Liam Hemsworth, that's kind of a nothing character to me. <laughs> and cor- I haven't read the books, but according to my wife, who it, did read them, kind of ends up being a nothing in the book, too. Yeah. It's just, like, it, it's weird. It just sort of goes he's away. He's just a bowl of boring to me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, um, but how are you going to rate and grade The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes? We have Rocket, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. That's going to surprise you. This is getting a single barrel rating for me. I really, really liked this film. Nice. I can't wait to go see it again. I hope we catch, we're going to catch it earlier this weekend or, mm-hmm. or early next week. I really want to sit down, and now that I know the story and I don't have to grind through what's happening to make sure it all stays in my mind in some succinct order. Yeah, the details of it all. Really hammer down into what Snow says and watch how he moves through this and see if we have some some answers to some of the questions that we brought up. Uh, and I'm really going to focus specifically on the interactions between him and Lucy. Yeah, I think that'll be good. I might even be that guy that takes a notepad and like, <laughs> positive-negative interactions so that I can weigh out what side he's on. I, I, I 
thir- I mean it, Jesse. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. That's good. I, I think I think you needed a, a winner. It's oh. been you know the fall has been kind of a dry slate on new releases being good, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Saw X was good, but you didn't go see that. But then, you know, you, you dabbled in the Marvels and Napoleon. It's been a little dry for you, so I'm glad The Hunger Games was a winner for you. Yeah. I think that speaks to the property, too. I yeah. think I think you really, I think the space of this world, I think, works good. And I think the world building is, again, I think it's why you like John Wick so much, too, is I think they do a good job making the world feel how it's presented, right? Yep. Call plus for me. Oh, wow, okay. I really? I'm shocked. I didn't entirely hate it. There's things, I, I, like I said, I think the acting's really good. I think the story, for the most part's really good. I think the arena, the Hunger Games of it all is mm. maybe my favorite or second favorite, maybe. Mm. Uh, I just get a lost in some of the character things that I, I, if I was writing and directing, and I would have done, I would have gone down a couple other paths just to hammer down the, the part of hero to ultimate supreme villain, right? Uh, and and the scenes like that you were talking about, you know, with the cabin and all like oh, that, all worked really well for me. It's just you know, I was just I, I was wanting just a little bit more, and it's a little long in the tooth for me to two forty two. I think, <laughs> yikes, yeah, it's long. But I, I prefer that to splitting it into two because then what's part two? Like you split it in the middle. Is part two just the peacemaker story? Like I don't know where you split the story. I mean, yeah, you finish the story after the arena ends. I don't know. Yeah, where do you split it after yeah, she went? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Either. That's I'm with you. That's a kind of a dry two-hour movie of just hanging around District 12, which uh, I don't know. Yeah. But, no, I think there's things to like here. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, if people are still excited about The Hunger Games. Uh, is there more, you know, fruit on the vine? Is Suzanne Collins going to write more books in this series? Are they going to make more films in this series? That's I- obvious, man. That's the Hamish in the game story is the one. Let's go. That's mm-hmm. the obvious one to do here. Come on. This is like stealing candy from a baby. Let's go, Suzanne. Get on it. Get on it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, to, that, uh, to I, that, I think, you know, for the most part, other than, you know, Rogue One being a little disappointing to you. Yeah, good cast. A pretty good cast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, dude, X-Men First Class, I think, you know, running away with this cast. Yeah. But um, I liked, I loved revisiting Rogue One for the first time since its theatrical release. It was great seeing this uh, new film in the theater. So, yeah, this cast was a winner. But before we wrap up and introduce the next cast, let's wrap up with our nightcap. Are you, are you coming to the tree where they strung up a man? They say murder three. Strange things did happen here. No stranger would it be. We met up at midnight in the hanging tree. Now, in that song there, she says, The man who murdered three. Is she singing about snow? I just picked up on that. Yep. She's singing about his hanging song, I guess. Interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to, I'll re, I'll, I'll say this much too. I'll revisit this movie at some point in the future. Not right away, not as soon as you're going to do it, but uh, I'll go back to this and I'll, I'll, I'll do the other films too. Like I, I don't mind, even Mockingjay, that chore that that is, I'll still go back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the nightcap this week. So, you know, the arena, the hunger, the hunger game stage, I think is rife for endless possibilities on what you could do with it. But let's take some inspiration from some films and let's, Top three Hunger Games mazes you would like to see 
inspired by film. Three, three, yeah. two, two, one, one. Yeah. Number three for me, a junkyard, an auto junkyard. I think the metal there presents a lot of uh, like rust and, and cutting and uh, weaponized pieces, um, the different cars and the machinery of the engine present a really cool uh, like engineering piece that you could do and the weight of things falling also could be really cool. What if you were able to get one of those cars up and going? What are you pulling this from? Any film inspired you for this or is it the dream master? Maximum overdrive. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know if there's one. No, I don't know. I don't know if it comes from a film directly. I just think that would be a cool setting. All right. Number three for me, I'm going to go with industrial steampunk inspired by saw. Uh, I don't need Jigsaw running the games, which that'd be horrifying in its own regard, but that sort of weird green, yellow, neon-tinted world with pipes and machinery and whatever, a battleground set somewhere in Rustville. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's just call it that. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. Some seedy, abandoned warehouse Mm -hmm. is where these guys are going to do battle. So inspired by Saw, that's my number three. Number two for me, inspired by, is it Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead? Someplace like the Mall of America. Dawn. Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Ooh, yeah, nice. A lot of really cool shops and things in the shops that you do. Do the use. tributes have access to the shops? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they for sure do. Do you'll find me at Hot Dog on a Stick. <laughs> it's just, dude, I'm loading up on food. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. Wear that costume. <laughs> hey, you would know what district I'm from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Number two for me, uh, I guess, you know, they did kind of forest tropical and catching fire whatever but i want forest or a jungle setting via predator and you know what there if you want to have a, the predator also you know stalking about it it's just another barrier that the tributes have to deal with you know good luck <laughs> you just want a new predator film i think i do Don't, doesn't everyone hey i liked prey i know we differ a little bit on that one so yeah yeah um number one deserted slashed abandoned cul-de-sac um, gated community. Sort of last of us, if you want to kind of go that route, but I mean, literally it's empty. There's no one there. Kind of like the purge. Like the purge, mm. but completely uninhabited. Got so it. you get to move from place to place. It's all open. And then whatever resources you can find in the house, go for it. Yeah. That's what I want. Okay. I, and I mean... Maybe cul-de-sac's a little small, but like that sort of community area. Sure, yeah. 25 to 60 houses kind of Yeah, joining. gated community. Yep. I dig it. Uh, my number one, we haven't done anything with ice and snow. Mm. So inspired by the Empire Strikes Back, I want a Hoth, Hoth-esque game map. Mm. You can have some wampas running around here too, but like, see, they got to do something with the cold. That seems kind of like a miss, right? Sure. Maybe that's what Mockingjay was. We did forest, tropical, volcanic island. Mm-hmm. We got to do a cold place, right? Yeah. Good. Because then you got, dude, send me a jacket on that drone, right? Yeah, right. Dude, I'm going to freeze. <laughs> Hopefully the drones have increased their uh, ability to deliver something a little no, more they, safely. They definitely got better because, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, they, 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 they decapitate you. Yeah, Katniss would get like uh, Salve. A, a hornet bomb. Yeah. And it would come on a parachute down to you. So, yeah, it's not coming to 
take your head off. Yeah. Loved it. I thought that was that was every drone that came into that arena. 75 miles an hour. It was ready to kill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Then we didn't even talk about that. The move that, you know, snow like a strategy is like nine bottles of water because they're swarming her. Yep. And they take out all those people. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, how do we not talk about that? Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, everything in the games was worked really well. Yeah. Well, to your games. To your games. I think this is a franchise that a, we'll come back to, and B, we haven't heard the last from. Yeah. Uh, we'll get. I think we'll get more books. We'll get more more films. Mm-hmm. So, be interesting. Yeah, I'm ready. Well, it's December. We're wrapping up the the year. You know, want to kind of keep things light, fun. You know, kind of festive. And th- there's a franchise that I always think about this time of year. Mm-hmm. And you know, when we look back at the series that we've covered, you know, we've done four John Wick films. We've done six Rocky films and three Creed spinoff films. We've done nine films in the Rocky verse, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've done a lot from. Uh, we've done five Star Wars films now. Like we we've done four Indiana Jones, but we've only done two from this particular franchise, which sort of breaks my heart because it's a my favorite franchise of all time. <laughs> so I'm gonna play the music. I'm gonna cue it up, and then we're gonna do something kind of fun here. And I've been looking forward to this all week long. Okay. So uh, do you have any idea what franchise this is gonna be? The James Bond 007. Right on. You want to hear those horns for a bit? Yeah. Oh, my God. John Barry kills it every time with his Bond scores. So good. But, yeah, the world of James Bond 007. I think we'll do three films to wrap up the year. Uh, We'll have some fun with it. Maybe we'll have a couple couple people on don't know yet but uh we're gonna do we're gonna call it james bond roulette so here in this bowl of tricks is every (laughs) james bond film other than casino royale and no time to die because we did those we've already done those so i'm gonna mix it up really good here for you god how long take you to write them all down well i typed them so it it took a little (laughs) okay (laughs) would you believe me if i did it I didn't even have to look up. I I knew exactly. I wrote so sick. I did it in the order that they were released. Yeah. (laughs) But this could be to talk about just the the world of six different actors have played this guy. Some of them are like sometimes comedies, uh, suave, sophisticated. The women, the villains, the gadgets, the worlds, the the music, the songs. Like this is going to be a lot of fun to just get in the weeds with this character. What I'm going to really laugh at is if we just get, like, three of the same actor. That'll be just hilarious. So have at it. I'm going to – why don't you close your eyes, too, and just pick one. Please don't be Quantum of Solace. Please don't be Quantum of Solace. Please don't be Quantum of Solace. Am I looking at it now or you want me to wait? Yeah. Reveal to the audience, yourself and myself, what are we talking about next week? The man with the golden gun. Oh, my God. (laughs) Roger Moore and Christopher Lee. (laughs) I kind of like this one. This one's wild. With Nick-Nack, Hervey Valenche is yep. Nick-Nack? Oh, yep. yeah, okay, here we go. Yeah, th- this this will be a lot of fun. Yeah, man, Ro- Roger Moore, uh, 1975, I believe. 
This, yeah. this is going to be fun. Because, you know, essentially, I always kind of, you know, it's great talking to people about Bond because you normally grew up with a certain actor playing the character. And Roger Moore was the guy mm-hmm. holding the tenure while you were growing up. So Yes, this was my childhood Bond. Yeah. This is my guy. And it's interesting because he's maybe the most not typical of, of the Bonds. He's almost kind of like, he's good looking, but he's a little blonde, brown hairish. He's kind of slow. He kind of reminds me of like my weird, like like yeah, like, yeah. like 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 a slow uncle or something. <laughs> but man, he was getting everyone. He was giving like three women a film. Man. It's just like I can't wait to talk about Roger Moore and Scaramanga and his third nipple. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, awesome. Are you happy with his choice? Uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, any film we talked about is going to be a joy. So we're going to find the fun things to talk about this. Hey, I might leave, and we might leave this bowl just off to the side. And you know what? When we have some lulls in the middle of the year, maybe we'll just come back to the bowl. Oh, good idea. Yeah. For like a one-off, like just yeah. bond off. <laughs> so after we finish next week, then it's your choice. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the, to I'll the bowl. i and you get to pick out a bowl. That sounds good. All right. All righty. So next week, you got the man with the golden gun uh, into the James Bond verse. But until then... Cheers to you. Cheers Thank to you. you to everyone uh, who continues to listen. It's been another great year uh, recording these podcasts, having you uh, listen to them. Uh, but, hey, we got to get going. Matt and I have been uh, designated tributes to fight in the 76th annual Hunger Games. But the arena is just a big television screen, and we have to watch on an endless loop every Disney plus Marvel and Star Wars <laughs> show <laughs> until someone just gives in. And who can last the longest? You know what? You know, take take that bow and arrow. Just do me in before we get going. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, is property of Lionsgate Films and Color Force. And no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Mr. Snow, let me ask you one final time. What are the Hunger Games for? It's the things we